Okay, you guys, we're getting ready to go on a trip, a little journey uh, on this episode of the Pre-Accident Podcast that is by request and kind of a, a aggressive request. So that's weird. Be really aware that you're going to hear the word reductionist, okay? Don't freak out. It's just a word. It means breaking it down to its smallest parts, okay? Deconstructing, which is kind of just as bad as reductionist. But that's going to be a part of what we talk about. Because today we're going to have a discussion around something that I kind of thought everyone knew, but maybe they don't, which is even better because now we can have a huge discussion. Yahoo! Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Free Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. Thanks for being on board. It is so great to have all of you people. I'm telling you, this is a remarkable. I can't even tell you. Well, I, I guess I can because I am. But, uh, man, it's, it w- I never imagined in uh, 50 billion years we'd be having these conversations all the time like this and kind of not running out of crap to talk about. That's the part that's mostly freaking me out. All well and good here uh, from my side of the equation it's um, it's fall in New Mexico, but it's kind of not. It's weird. It's kind of not fall. It's been it's been warm, 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 then cold like for a minute, and then warm, 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 then cold like for thirty one other minutes, and just lots of crazy weather. But it's a really good. Thing. If you've never been here in the fall, I don't. It's New Mexico is really interesting. You know, we had the balloon festival, which was earlier this year, which is humongo, and then we do like Zazobra, which you should look up. I talked about it before. That's really fun. Those kind of, those things kind of launch us into the fall. Then what we mostly do is kind of start to hibernate, pack on the food, and get ready for a long, slow, gentle winter like we have in New Mexico, which is really fun, actually. And, you know, I, I live kind of in the mountains, so my house is pretty high up. Uh, Santa Fe's, the altitude's pretty high up here. So it's it's we dance with snow but not a lot of it, and yet 15 minutes away at the, at the ski area, there's plenty of snow upon which one could ski if one thought that was entertaining and fun because um, it's mostly cold and it hurts your knees. That's my theory. I'm not I'm not judging. I, you know, the kids are really into it. It's really a fun thing to do. Um, but the fall is just screaming on and things are happening, and by the time we get this one published, I would guess – We'll be pretty far down the fall trail, which is good. And then the new year starts, and I'm already kind of thinking about what my new year thing's going to be. There are lots of adventures this next year, so that should be good. I hope I get to see a lot of you. We should hang out more. That's uh, that's definitely my theory. Just don't hang out with me in the airport because now my big challenge is, and this is a big one, is that my um, global entry and TSA pre-check, which if you don't know what those are, they really – it's so travel is really rather classist. I th- I think is a good way to say that. And if you uh, apply and get a security screening, which I already had all that stuff because of my job, you can you can jump ahead of a bunch of lines. Like you can get into the country quicker through uh, a special program that says you've been pre-screened. And then of course with the TSA pre-check, you get to go to a little different type of aviation. Um, Security and and they're great. I mean they're they're a little bit classless. It's uh, it definitely feels snooty walking in that line, 
and I watch the other people who are kind of snooty about it sometimes. But the problem is, is that they run out after five years, and I'm at my five-year limit, but the government in the United States has had these weird shutdowns for kind of, I don't know, all sorts of reasons, and they've delayed, and so now I'm, I'm in limbo between having it and not having it. And uh, it's made flying, well, it's, it's humbled me because I've had to learn what it's like to fly with the real people, which is probably, for me, super good. It teaches me that, you know, you, you got to take your shoes off, which I don't mind that much because it's kind of like a, a chance to not wear shoes in the airport, which seems like in normal cases would be seen as uh, negative and not very good. But in fact, I think it's, it's quite interesting. So that's kind of where I am in this journey. I don't know how I'm probably gone way too far in this. I mean, I didn't tell you about the guy who cut his toenails on the plane the other day. That's too far. I wouldn't want to go that far, but uh, that's kind of deep into the story. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, because today we're going to talk about the difference between complicated and complex, which those are very different words, and they, they, they mean different things. Certainly, we can define them really quickly. Complicated is something that's difficult to do. Complex is many pieces tightly coupled. Those are both rather reductionist um, definitions for what's going on. But that difference, I think, sometimes loses itself in translation. And the reason it's important is because that difference really changes how we look at the way our, 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 our living systems, the organizations in which we work, function, and also our actual system systems, the, the mechanical and technological systems that function as well. And so that all of a sudden that difference between complicated, something that's complicated and complex, that becomes really important when you think about how we manage what we do. And so that's what the topic of today's podcast is. And I'm actually going to um, insert a little special part into this podcast from one of my favorite podcasts, which is called 99% Invisible. Um, and, I, and they tell a story around this notion of complex and complicated and sort of solutions for it, which I think you'll find really, really interesting. So that's kind of the impetus for this podcast response. The reason we're doing the podcast is because we got a, I got a tremendous amount of interest uh, in, in something I said about complexity in a meeting. And so I'll, I'll kind of save that and, and go into the topic full blast to get you there. This podcast is just me, so I'm not going to really talk to other people. I'm going to kind of pontificate, as it were, on uh, what I think about when I think about these processes, just giving you some things to think about as we progress forward. So without much further ado, uh, let's get into the discussion of complicated and complex on the pre-accident podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Keep running, keep driving. Everything's going to be fine. We'll live through this. You'll like it. I promise. So there it is, giving a presentation. And, you know, I was just doing the stuff I do, probably telling the same jokes, you know, standing up there looking svelte. Because that's what I do. And um, I can't remember how we got into it. I think somebody asked me a question. And they talked about the fact that their organization was simplifying their processes. And I said, that's great. Um, now, the notion of simplification is kind of risky. That's that's sort of what started this whole conversation. So we should talk about that just for a minute. What I would suggest they were doing is probably not simplifying. But I am okay with that word. What I would suggest they're doing is probably decluttering or deconflicting their processes. 
And those are different words. And so that's kind of where the discussion was going. There, there were a lot of people in the room. And um, he said, well, you know, our, our, you know, the normal examples, we have 55-page long procedures or 75-page long procedures. And, and what that tells you is a couple things. One is that the procedures are probably not functioning the way they were intended to function. They've probably become repositories for operational data. Uh, either learning tools or learning repositories, or in most cases, compliance tools. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Um, they've sort of drifted, and and I I always think about this a lot because there's a couple reasons you could write you can write procedures that help workers perform work, or you can write procedures that help workers remain in compliance. And oftentimes there's a huge gap, a chasm between those two. So we're having that conversation, and uh, I said, you know. I'm not sure you can simplify what you guys do. And he looks at me kind of like, hey, you got a hand growing out of the middle of your forehead, kind of that kind of look. And I said, well, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really like this. If, if a process is complicated, you'd want to simplify it. If it's hard to do, make it easier to do. Right. But if a process is complex, the solution for complexity is never simplification the solution for complexity is transparency. And that's what I said. It's just kind of almost a throwaway line. I mean, I did, it didn't, it wasn't, you know, I, we were just talking. It, it changed everything. And you could sort of sense that it changed everything. And, and then I, I finished my presentation and I left because I probably had to go someplace else or eat lunch or, you know, I'm sure I had some really important thing to do. And they continued on with their meeting and that theme of transparency came up over and over again. And that is really the impetus to why we're having this conversation with you guys right now. I mean, this idea that you don't simplify complex processes shouldn't be that big of a jump intellectually for us. Because complexity, if it's many pieces tightly coupled, that's kind of the deconstructionist uh, definition of of complexity. We talked about that earlier. You, you probably won't simplify a complex process because it's a complex process. I mean, it's, it's a process that has many pieces tightly coupled. So if you can't simplify it, then what you do is you, you make the couplings transparent because the failure is going to happen at the couple points at where, where the system couples. That just is how it works because you have goal conflict or, or confusion or ambiguity or, or, open for interpretation. I mean, all those things become a big part of how we think about this. That notion that you can simplify complex systems to make them easier to do right, uh, quotes around the word, word right, it's appealing, but that's really more what, what when Drew Ray or, or Sidney Decker, those guys that are thinking about this idea, that's this notion of decluttering and deconflicting. I guess that's simplification. I mean, it's not not simplification, but what it really is is transparency. And what you're doing is you're making those those couplings, you're making the place where the system comes together more known. And then if they're more known, we can look at them and understand them better because it's more transparent. If you played the counting game with me or or anybody else who plays the counting game, I don't own it, right? It's 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 out there for everybody to play. When you say you got to count between one and fifteen, you got to count as efficiently as possible. Uh, you can't ever have a pattern of counters, 
and uh, only one person can speak at a time. The game notches up its complexity when you say there's only one person that speaks at a time. You, you, you made the game more complex. And then the solution is they raise their hand before they count. And what they're doing is they're making those couplings, the place where two people are going to talk at the same time, transparent. Now, that is the premise of our discussion. That's, that's what we talked about. But it's interesting when you think about it because that notion of transparency also implies or, or, or has implications, that's a better way to say that, to efficiency, to uh, effectiveness, to quality, to, to product delivery, to operational discipline and reliability. It's, it's kind of a big piece of information, but I didn't think of it that way. Because I'm thinking about it more like we do, like safety people, like people who care about reliability. And I think, okay, if we've got a place where two processes come together and it's kind of invisible, we should make that place known. And if we make that place known and then put some kind of placekeeper or turn taker or red flag or some kind of tool in there to make it uh, more known, then we'll have fewer problems with it. Makes sense so far? I'm not losing you, am I? That was the discussion. And that discussion, uh, it's, it really changed that organization a lot. Like where their senior leadership team talked about it the rest of the day. And I think that's good because if we can help senior leaders understand that the systems they have are complex and that asking them to become more simple is not really an answer because it's hard to make them more simple. You look at things like in the utility industry, clearances or, or lockout tagouts, those things, they seem really oversimplified when the leadership team talks about problems, but in the practice of doing them, they're really not simple processes. Lockout tagout's not a simple process. It's actually a complex process. And the way we make lockout tagout better is by actually making the complex parts of that known. We make them more transparent. We, we can see them. So suddenly lockout tagout or clearance verification becomes really contingent upon this notion of validation. You want to validate the absence or presence of energy. We all know this. I mean, we're, I'm preaching to the choir here. But that is really valuable. And that became a part of our discussion, which led me into starting to think about this more. Because I'm dumb and naive and just kind of float around. And I, I didn't think that was an earth-shattering thing to say because I guess I thought everybody knew it. But in fact, I started listening to other places, and that's when I discovered the potential for us to, well, to talk about this a little bit more. So I want to play a little clip from another podcast, 99% Invisible. If you don't listen to this, um, you should. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a podcast on systems, and they're going to talk about uh, complex systems, and they're going to talk about transparency. And the example they're going to use which I think is better than anything I could think of, has to do with the Shinkansen, the, uh, the high-speed rail trains in Japan. And so let me, let me just play this clip for you and see what you think. And we'll come back and do some credits on the other side and talk about it. So this is an example of the notion of complex systems and transparency. So there's one particular example of a really thoughtful transparent design that Buell told me about. It's from Japan where they have one of the best train systems in the world, the Shinkansen bullet train system. It's really amazing. They've had basically no injuries in like 40 years of operation mm -hmm. and it goes like 
200 miles an hour. They're super clean, and they almost always arrive within six seconds of schedule. How are they able to pull all that off? So uh, part of it is this whole routine they have worked out where the trains sit at the platform for 12 minutes before they leave the station again. (laughs) It takes about five minutes for passengers to get on and off, which leaves only about seven minutes for a cleaning company called Tesse to prep the train for the next trip. It's seven minutes for a team of 22 people to clean a thousand seats. That's incredibly fast. But I can imagine if you're standing on the train platform and the doors are closed and you can't get into your train because they're cleaning it, that that seven minutes could really feel like a long time. Yeah. I mean, especially if you don't know why exactly you're waiting there. Exactly. And I think that was creating a really bad dynamic because you have these disgruntled, unhappy workers who feel like they're doing a really difficult job. And then you have impatient travelers who are standing there not really understanding why they can't get into the train that's right in front of them. Right. So Tessa needed to find a way to fix this somehow. And in 2005, they brought in a new leader, a guy named Teruo Yabe. And he changed a bunch of things, but there was one thing in particular that had a really big impact. He instituted transparency between the passengers and the people cleaning the train. Uh, and the way that he did it, was it seems really subtle. Uh, But it was really effective. He changed the color of their uniforms from a pale blue, which blended into the body of many of these trains, to a vibrant red, which stood out just much, much more on the platform. So it was transparency by just making the workers more visible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about how the uniforms looked before, the workers were supposed to just be invisible, right? Right. You as a passenger are standing there, you're waiting around, you don't see what's happening exactly, and you don't know why you're waiting. But when the uniforms make the workers pop, you can suddenly see that like, oh, I'm waiting here because there's people cleaning the train that I'm about to ride. Tessai workers don't always wear red anymore. A lot of time cleaning crews on the Shinkansen train system um, wear Aloha shirts or they wear something like a bright flower in the hat. But the idea is basically the same. They want to stand out. They want it to be as visible as possible. Because if you make it as visible as possible, people appreciate it, and therefore they don't mind waiting, right? Yeah, and that's kind of the idea, is they can suddenly see why they're waiting, right? They know that they're just they're not just like waiting around for no reason. They're waiting for something that will improve their travel experience. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that Yabe did was he let the cleaners speak with the passengers, which, um, which was forbidden under the previous leader. So he provided transparency from the passengers to the employees and from the employees back to the passengers. And it completely changed the experience of working at Tesse, but it also completely changed the experience of waiting for service on the Shinkansen. Um, And it fundamentally changed the dynamics of those interactions. So in what ways did it actually change? So, well, for one, the trains are actually getting cleaned on time. So Mm -hmm. the system was working better overall. But... Tessie workers were struggling a lot less to do their job, and that's partly because passengers were cleaning up after themselves a lot more. Um, They could sort of see, one, you know, there are people who are doing this work, and it kind of made them more conscientious about their environment and what they were doing. Um, But it also sort of flipped this experience of waiting totally on its head. People started to ride the Shinkansen so they could watch Tessé crews performing their work. Uh, in Japan, uh, they call this the seven-minute miracle. Uh, sometimes they call it Shinkansen theater. So at the end of every cleaning, the crew does a bow and passengers applaud. So it isn't just we make 
the waiting process transparent and therefore easier to handle. It also just like the transparency makes people realize that everyone's working really hard and everyone wants to take pride in this train that they're on. And it makes the world just a better place in general when we recognize that people are doing hard work around us. I think that's a beautiful story. So that was Angus Chen who did the uh, reporting on that. And he was talking with Roman Mars, who's the host of 99% Invisible. And huge thanks to them for doing that podcast. In fact, the whole episode really starts not with the Japanese bullet trains, but it starts with the spinning wheel of death that exists on your computer and how that is uh, actually an indicator of systems transparency. And it's it's a good part. If you're not listening to it, it's it's worth listening to. That clip alone, I think, really helps illustrate the importance of this idea of complexity versus complication and transparency. That discussion, the one we're having, and the one you'll have after this with your people, that's a pretty important discussion for us to have. Because I would suggest a, a large part of what we do for a living is help people navigate through the complexities of work. So when we talk about work, work is more art than science. We know that. So we could talk black line, blue line. But ultimately what we're talking about is that workers learn how to cope, how to survive in our systems. And they always learn how to cope and survive in our systems. In, in fact, a better way to say that, maybe less dramatic, is that we actually rely on workers completing the design. And that completion of design, that's the adaptive nature of doing work. That's what people do to get their work done. That's how work happens. We can help them be more effective by understanding complexity and knowing that in complex couplings within our systems, what we provide is this knowledge that this section of this job increases in complexity. We can call that transparency. And you can see from the example with the trains in Japan how they've built a system where they've included everybody from the workers to the riders, the, the entire group of people who perform the function of getting people from point A to point B, from Tokyo to Osaka or wherever they're going to go, in this process, and they've increased success by allowing those couplings that are especially critical to be transparent. We see them and we understand them. That, in essence is our discussion. That's what we talk about. And I'm amazed, kind of, just because I just didn't, I didn't think this was, I, I don't even think I thought it was worth talking about on the podcast. But I never realized that one little comment in a meeting it can drop a, a, a piece of knowledge and change the entire tone and timbre and topic of what was going on. That's the role you play. And that's a really important role. And in a way, I guess it's kind of an awesome responsibility is that when we help people understand how workers see work, when we help increase the empathy towards the people who do the work, what we've done is we've made the complex couplings in that system more transparent to leadership. We've helped leaders become 
smarter or, or smarter. That's offensive. We've helped leaders learn more about the processes they lead. And I can't ever see that as a bad outcome. I can only see that as a good outcome. That little discussion, I've been trying to make this podcast happen for a long time. In fact, I kind of had to force myself to, to get in and finish it. That little discussion is one we ought to think about. So I hope this helps. I hope it helps a ton. Um, let's talk again because it's worthwhile for sure. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.